Hypnospace Outlaw is a hit indie game which features an internet and operating system simulator set in a surreal alternate version of 1999. The game is entirely unique, both in its design and aesthetic, and it has an impressive development history. Jay Tholen is the developer of Hypnospace Outlaw, and he joins the show to talk about the engineering of the game, the creation of an entire fake internet, and he gives an update on his next game, Dream Settler. Joe Nash is a developer, educator, and award-winning community builder who has worked at companies including GitHub, Twilio, Unity, and PayPal. Joe got his start in software development by creating mods and running servers for Gary's Mod, and game development remains his favorite way to experience and explore new technologies and concepts. Hello and welcome to Software Engineering Daily. My name is Joe Nash and today I am delighted to be joined by Jay Tolan, game developer, musician, probably most well known for Hypnospouse Outlaws, but there's plenty of other games besides. Jay, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So I want to kick off with, you know, your game development journey so far. You know, the I mentioned Hypnospace Outlaw, which is certainly the game that I'm most familiar with from your back catalogue, but you've also worked on some other titles, Dropsy, Slayer X, and an upcoming game. Can you tell me a little bit about how game development started for you? I started game development. It's a little foggy exactly where I found this, but I found a demo of a program called Click and Play. I think it was on a Sim Tower CD. And Click and Play is a easy to use game development software from the 90s. Maxis bought sort of the rights to distribute it, I think, for a short time. So it got decently popular. And I might be wrong about that. But it was packaged with a lot of Maxis stuff. But anyway, and I used that to make things that really weren't games, but more like ripped sprites of Goku bouncing around with like a corn midi file in the background and like i don't know just like whatever i could scrounge around like threw it in there and sort of like a little eight direction game where you shoot fireballs at goku i don't know but that's how i got started and then and then i just used that software which really helped me sort of hone i guess i don't even know if it was called that back then but pixel art skills and then i got really into pixel art and tracker music Because both of those things are something you could use with the click and play slash games factory software. And yeah, that's how I got started ever since I was, well, yeah, we got a computer in 97. So I was about 10 or or 11. And ever since then, I've been, you know, doing it (laughs) (laughs) professionally only the last third of my life. But yeah. Right. So yeah, let's talk about that last third. So my impression, I might be wrong here, is that Dropsy was your first quote-unquote professional game is that correct yeah dropsy was my first commercial game like legitimate commercial game like some i I threw online and tried to charge like 99 cents for them but i had no reach or anything so they became free very quickly Perfect. And so then after that, obviously, we have Hypnospace Outlaw. So that's where we're going to be spending quite a lot of, of the time today. I have lots of questions about that. So I guess for folks who aren't familiar with the game, who haven't experienced it yet, and bearing in mind that it is quite a unique game as a concept, can you tell us what Hypnospace Outlaw is and describe it a bit? Yeah, Hypnospace Outlaw is an internet and operating system simulator set in an alternate reality 1999. And we sort of pretend that a technology exists that allows you to surf 
the web or use a computer while you're sleeping. And you do this by like sort of imagining that you're typing on a keyboard in your dream or in your sleep or something like that. And then somehow the device, the device is actually like, it's almost like a glorified monitor. And that also reads your inputs. And then it hooks up, it's a peripheral though, it hooks up to your PC, which then does processing. And then it, uh, so you kind of kind of have to be hooked up to your computer at all times, even though you're sleeping, which, you know, we should have done some kind of like strangulation angle, but then think about that. Yeah, but that's what it is. And, and you basically have a simulated operating system and a walled garden internet service that you explore, maybe not unlike AOL's homepage communities and, or GeoCities neighborhoods. And you moderate it. You are an enforcer, which gives us a good excuse to like close off why you can't access like chats and stuff because it wouldn't be fair or some junk. I don't know. And you're an enforcer and you you have a set of rules and you have to go out and find violations that people have broken the rules and sort of you have a little gavel tool and you hammer the element on their page where the rule was broken. and, And if and then you get paid. Excellent. Yeah, I think that's a very comprehensive description. And, you know, for folks who hear that initial operating system simulator, internet simulator, it's definitely, uh, I was shocked at how comprehensive it was, how large this this internet slice was. I highly recommend checking it out. And we'll definitely come back to the gameplay elements of that later. But first, I want to talk about the concept. So that concept that you described there, to my understanding from hearing you speak before, was not the original concept for the game, right? It grew out of another game you released called Hypnospace in Forza, not Outlaw. Mm. How did that happen? Like, how do your games often, when you have the initial vision for a game, do you often find that the end result is, you know, different or changes along the path of development? Or is this a unique experience? Yeah, that happens all the time because I just, I have a motivation problem. And I to keep motivation, I, I have to follow what, like, what is piquing my interest the most at any given time. And well, the operating system and internet sort of simulator side of things, I was finding more exciting. And also I was sharing development like footage of it on Twitter and elsewhere. And people were responding really well to that. So I was like, you know what? I'm having more fun doing this because the original game Hypnospace Enforcer was a more or less like an endless runner game and the sequel hypnospace outlaw would have been the same but you can go in two directions you can flip and go left and right on an endless information superhighway and the internet part was in there like the operating system part was in there but it was really just a way to see to look at the person's page you were hunting down to get clues about how to find them on the highway and also to see like sort of what they had done wrong and sort of get maybe some empathy for them before you like throw them into jail and stuff. But yeah, that was going to be a large part. Like at least half of the game was going to be highway stuff and people's operating stuff would have been visible in the highway. Like, you know, it's a play on information, super highway, the kind of buzzword. So if you had a virtual pet on your desktop, it would have shown been shown following your car on the highway Or like if you bumped into someone's car, maybe it would spill files out that they had on their hard drive and you could just kind of steal files from them. Kind of a cartoony information superhighway treatment is what it was going to be. Inspired a lot by like those ads where you're like flying through 3D space, you know, to connect with someone in Australia through email. 
you know, that marketing kind of gave this very cartoony, like sensational idea of what it's like to be on the web. You know, it's like a new, new era and stuff. And so the game was kind of playing into that a lot. But yeah, the whole web sort of more dry, you know, adding little tinkery features, all of that just just really me and Mike Lash, who's the other main person who worked on this, he did coding and some design. We just found that more of an enjoyable direction to take. So that's awesome. Yeah, I love the metaphor of the invasion superhighway. I do often find, I think, that the images and renderings and marketing for what it's like to surf the internet are much more compelling than actually surfing the internet. So I'm glad you uh, oh, yeah. explored that direction. That sense of disappointment is like a big part of this game too. Like when in 97, when I first got a computer, I'm like, okay, where is it? Where's the 3D world where I'm chatting with, you know, in movies and stuff, you, it just looks so much cooler than the reality. And I still liked it, but it wasn't what I was hoping. So I, I wanted to capture that here too. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that, and obviously in the past that as you were developing those early concepts, fans and people who are following your work really grabbed onto the fake operating system. And this is a bit of a, a thing that's kind of become a genre. And I think aside from Hypnospace Outlaw, Zachtronics game Last Call BBS also kind of explores this. And there's a lot of other titles in the genre. Why is it that you think people you know, really enjoy playing with what is essentially their desktop computer, but, you know, amped up and made into a game. That's an interesting question. We actually weren't sure how accessible it would be because computers, you know, mobile computing is having a large influence on PCs now. And we took the game to a show. And at that time, it was default. Default behavior was double clicking to open a program. And everyone was clicking once on the desktop icons nothing was opening and then they would leave and they thought it was broken or just I don't know what they thought but I'm assuming they thought it was broken because they left and at that point we had a big talk about oh maybe we need to make it single click but instead we just put a giant like sign that points at an icon at the very beginning that's like double click here to get started because you know I think our audience is still people who have some computer experience or something but to answer your question, yeah, I guess in part, I guess it depends on if maybe your age and your experience with computers. I think a lot of younger people feel maybe they missed out on this era where people even really used the desktop icons much at all. And I feel like they, according to our, like our reviews and some of the feedback I've had from younger people like who are too young to have been on the web in that late 90s, early 2000s era, like it's almost to them feels like a period piece or something like a time machine thing. And there's even been teachers who messaged me about like, just if it's okay, if their class plays it or whatever, I don't know if that ever happened, but <laughs> so I guess it, for some people, it's that kind of thing. I think I've told this anecdote before, but in my high school, there was like in our art class, there was like a little corner of like, people who had this like weird late 60s subculture thing coming back in our art class where they were like really into the Woodstock Festival and the doors and the whole mystique around all that like Jimi Hendrix and all that that era and were wearing the clothes and the art teacher was like kind of ragging on like what do you because he was a hippie in a nice way and I think like there's this mystique about these eras like that you were too young to have experienced and it kind of feels cool to like 
travel back there and maybe see what it was like, maybe. And I think with Vaporwave and stuff, we're seeing these other subcultures where we're maybe seeing another version of that, you know, where there's a lot of people who kind of find it compelling just that whole time, you know. But in terms of like just purely using an operating system, one of the feelings I wanted to capture was when I, like in 97, and then 99, we got the internet. I didn't, like when we first got the computer and the internet, I didn't know where the boundaries were to this stuff. And I didn't know what was possible. And like I said, I was hoping to find that 3D world where people were chatting and never quite found it, especially because we had dial-up, so it wouldn't have worked too well anyway. But I think there's something a little bit magical about like, it's almost like stumbling upon a machine, like a machine and not knowing what the heck is this and poking at it and seeing what it does. And we weren't trying to replicate Windows 95 or anything. So when you open this thing up, you see, oh, it looks like an operating system, but it has a lot of strange, quirky features. And I think that encourages people to like, I don't know, it fosters a little sense of wonder about what they might be able to do there. So. Yeah, and I think that's kind of the area that I'm most intrigued by because, you know, it does feel like it has so many of like, you know, the bells and whistles an operating system has. It does feel really open. And so I'm really intrigued, you know, as you were building it, as you're adding these things in, how did you balance that like creation of a operating system simulator with like, what is, I mean, for the folks who haven't played super deep into it, like a very narratively driven game. Like there is a point to this. There is a storyline, right? Like it does take players places. How do you balance those two? What seem to me very competing ideas? Yeah, they are. It was pretty hard because we just started. I started with the web. I sort of, I don't know, is there a word for method acting, but it's when you're making stuff, (laughs) but I was like using our, the page builder. No. So what I did, I drew a mock-up of a page builder right when we started just from my dreams, like this is what it would ideally look like. And a sequencer, a music sequencer, basically kind of a tracker, but in a beat sequencer form. And I sent both of those to Mike, who is the Hypnospaces coder. And he, I didn't expect this. I was expecting to see like Windows, like temp graphics, but he cut up all my graphics, stuck them in there, and just basically within like a few months made them functional. Like, almost exactly what I mocked up in the image editor. And so a few things are crusty about the way he did it, like that didn't quite match like what I was imagining. But as I was making pages, like and, you know, certain things that were a little too crusty, of course, we would touch up. But eventually, I think we both settled on this idea where it was like, you know what, like some of these things, let's just roll with them. And like when you start to open a new text box, when you start a new text element, it says, hypno text or it says something like a double click here to edit this text box or something and it's really easy to just like make one of those and it gets lost in the hierarchy and sometimes you'll just see double click here to edit this somewhere but we're like let's just pretend that that's just something users do which is making a game where most of the content was created by amateurs is really good because it's (laughs) it's really cheap (laughs) like anyone can make it and i could just you know very quickly make a lot of content because it's not supposed to sell like a a professional like presence or a big realistic world or something and yeah now i forgot what the original question was but there you go no that's great and you know i think that's such a fascinating part of it because it does feel 
you know, so much of the content you experience does feel so of the time, so genuine. And of course, that means, you know, that a lot of it is being made by kids who've just got their first computer and that kind of stuff. And you you really feel that. So and I imagine as a creator, that gives a lot of almost psychological safety, knowing that like, oh, if someone finds a mistake, it's going to feel like it's, you know, the character. It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. So you mentioned that Mike is your developer who's building this stuff. I'm really interested, like, what was the initial tool set? Like, what is Hypnospace Outlaw made in? Yeah, Hypnospace Outlaw is made in Construct 2, which is, I mentioned Click and Play, which is a ki- almost more or less, you could say, a kid's game making software, not unlike like today's Scratch or stuff like that. And that turned into the Games Factory, which turned into Multimedia Fusion, which turned into Click Team Fusion, which is still going. And one of the Click Team community people who i remembered when i was a kid he broke off because of like he stopped using the software because there were certain things he wanted to do and the developers weren't interested in that and he started construct and so construct is basically click and play (laughs) fundamentally the ideas behind it are basically what i was using when i was 11 so we were like you know what and i met mike through the click team sort of click and play community as well a while ago and we're like we're comfortable with this i guess we'll worry about porting and stuff later because it's not great with porting so that's why we chose construct it's quite difficult to do some of the things we wanted to do especially in a performant way in construct and we had to circumvent a lot of like the out of the box features or like get a little hacky sometimes but ultimately it worked okay (laughs) yeah i don't want to get too in the weeds here but to my understanding construct is web technologies right like it's html and okay so now i'm like doubly fascinated about the page builder because the page builder it's web technology but it's like it's none of that's exposed it's all like an event-based editor where it's like if variable is higher than blah then do this 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 or if you know if this collides with this then do this 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 so it's a visual scripting thing. Got you, got you. So it's not, you know, like Electron where you're building applications in that stuff. It just, the output happens to be web technologies. But yeah, you. it it outputs into like uh, HTML5, like web technology, yeah, yeah, which was a problem, big problem for performance because computers see that as not needing the GPU. So by default, it says, no, don't use the GPU for this application unless you go in there and manually set our executable to run on the GPU, then it runs on the CPU only or integrated graphics. And it's just like some laptops have a dual like integrated graphics and it just runs so poorly for some people, which a lot of people think is intentional and okay, but it's, (laughs) that's incredible. I had that exact situation once where someone was at a really low frame rate and they just thought that was the walking speed. (laughs) It was incredible. Okay. So, one more question on that. So, because you, it's also on consoles, right? So, yeah. it had to does... be rebuilt. <laughs> okay, okay. So it's not the original Web Technologies version. It is. It has been reworked in some way. Now we worked with a company called Radalike, and they have their own sort of construct porting thing they've made. They do other construct games, and they used that, and they had to because we circumvented some construct things. They had a little extra work to do to implement some of our custom stuff but yeah it's just rebuilt using their 
stuff. <laughs> I don't know much about it. Perfect. No, that makes that makes total sense. So back to the, I guess, like the construction of the core game. So, you know, there are various parts throughout the game where the narrative moves forward. You know, there are time skips, there are jumps, this kind of stuff. How do you, you know, amongst these web pages and the feature set of the operating system, how did you deal with like progression and access gating to features and that kind of stuff like within this i guess in my head it's like really a faithful operating system simulator but i imagine that's not necessarily built like an operating system right how does that work right okay this will actually answer the question i forgot because now i remember the old question too so that all has to do with how like the game was kind of how development worked happened which was first we made a big fake internet well first we made the operating system but then we made a big fake internet and by we, I mostly mean me, make this fake internet and just a pile of pages. And when I'd make a new page, you know, I'd think of a kind of person, try to pretend to be them, like them. What would they do? Do they know the technology well enough? You know, what is their education level? Blah, blah, blah. And then when I'd make a new page, I would think, okay, well, what sort of zone are they in? Which in our game is like a neighborhood or like a community sub-community and then who would they know and who would be their friend here who might they not like here you know and then I would edit their page and say hey these are my friends and then I would write in notepad or something a list of the their friends or enemies or whatever and then I would go into the pages of people who are this new character's friends and then I would go edit those pages again to add maybe some references to this new person I added and say, yeah, we're going to go hang out and play tennis, meet in real life. <laughs> and it just development happened that way where it was just very did whatever I wanted and tried my best to keep track. I had some spreadsheets after a while because it got a little messy and to keep track of who knows who and and who, you know, maybe this person has a crush on this person or and what is the other person's temperament and what it, what do they think about this person having a crush on them and do they know? And then after a while, just had this whole pile of pages. And then really there weren't many violations at all or any wasn't any gameplay for a long time. It was just later on that we were like, okay, now how do we get these people in trouble? Like what would they be doing wrong that the players can and how... In the zones, players are given access to zones as they accomplish more. So first you have just like the blue collar flyover state, you know, country people zone and the cafe, which is more like the sort of liberal sort of everyone's welcome kind of, you know, sort of really 90s, like people holding hands kind of zone, you know, where they try to make it feel well like it's, it looks like a coffee house and it has that sort of global village aesthetic to it and stuff and uh, that's just really is what it sounds like is just like mostly random maybe more urbanite people slightly people who might actually go to a cafe and some people are there by accident because it's the default zone which i thought was kind of funny and some like some people are like hey i'm not a communist how do i move my page to the other place or whatever <laughs> Then, you know, after we had all this, though, that's when I, I started thinking about, and that's when Zolivier Nelson Jr., who did narrative design, he wrote a lot of the news articles, too. He came on and, like, helped, really helped add some progression and helped make sense of this and how to slowly unlock new zones and how to 
do the time jumps after certain things happen. So basically the game, the fake internet was mostly made, the operating system features were mostly made, and then a game was stuck in there <laughs> afterwards, which I kind of, in retrospect, I kind of liked doing it that way because you have a, a broad view of everything and you can kind of, I don't know, I liked how that worked in the end. Yeah, no, I think that, you know, what you described sounded, you know, you really got to know the characters and why they were there and what they were operating in before, you know, the game arrived. And I imagine that's a very useful process for, for linking everything together. So you mentioned the creation of the tools between yourself and Mike, and I want to come back to those tools because you released them pretty soon after the 1.0 release. And, you know, we had the page builder and the music creator. And you released those out to the community and allowed them to kind of build whatever they want. How did that go? <laughs> it went, it didn't take off. We do have, I don't want to like discount what people have done. I think there's some pretty cool stuff out there. And there. And if you click mods on the main menu, you can see some of the things people have uploaded that they've made. But I think it's a combination of being Windows only when this game really, like if any game would appeal to like Linux or Mac users, like this would be one of them more than I think your average game. And so we couldn't port them without, with it being sort of worth it. You know, it would have been a lot of work. We would have to rebuild to port, to port the tools to anything but Windows. And they weren't so, we polished them a little bit, but they're so fundamentally like janky that with things that we just got used to, that for other people, it's a bit of a learning curve. And then the other thing, I think the other reason that it didn't take off too much is because sharing requires you to like upload a zip to a modding website. And then there's no like end game way to like share your pages and stuff, which we had like preliminary plans for, but combination of things led to us not doing that. Like concerns about moderation was one of them. It would have just been a pretty big job to moderate that. Yeah, I'm surprised that you say it didn't kick off. To me, you know, when I look at your Discord and there's still people making stuff today, I'm I spent a good amount of time poking around that calculator trying to work out like how they built like a whole app outside the page builder. <laughs> you know what? When the tools came out, it wasn't like what I was hoping, but sure. it has been steady yeah. and people have been making stuff. Yeah. So I think over the three years, three and a half years now they've been out, we do have a substantial amount of stuff people made. Interesting stuff. But there have been no like big like, you know, game mods where people add a whole zone of, okay, someone did add a whole zone actually. But, you know, new gameplay or anything like that, that we were kind of hoping for. Yeah. But not that I don't appreciate it. There are some really, because, you know, there's a little scripting language that we made with like variables and stuff. And yeah, like the calculator you mentioned, there are other really interesting things. Cobalt by this, it's a fellow named Tom K. He's made so many different doodads and they're all very impressive for the game. Just for the heck of it. Yeah, very cool stuff. Love an impressive doodad. So your next game, Dream Settler, is also a fake operating system game. And this sent me on a real journey where I was like, is this just because it's the natural sequel to Hypnospace? Or like, you know, is this, are you just really looking forward to building an operating system again? What's the motivation here? Yeah, the motivation was in part like, well, you know, what we were talking about right after Hypnospace was a cart racer where you can exit your cart and it becomes a FPS, but you don't tell anyone that until they discover it. And then you can go back through all the tracks 
and then explore them and go into the interiors in the FPS mode after you realize that you can exit your cart. And that was what we pitched. And then our publisher was like, how about you just do another one, <laughs> another hypnospace? Because people liked that. And we were like, because also that we hadn't done 3D yet. So to them, it was sounding quite risky. And it was, I think. Still might do that one. And that's how that started. And decided to set it. I think originally they wanted to have it a little later. Like when in our initial talks, like uh, set it between like 2005 and 2000 seven or eight when youtube was just kicking off and stuff but i decided to go more for the my, beginning of myspace like so so 2003 to 2005 roughly it's a deeply cursed period to set it i can't wait to see some of the the selfies that are going to be on these people's pages <laughs> yeah. and flash was i think at its peak around then too yeah very cool. I'm getting the sense that a lot of your game concepts come from altered car games fundamentally. <laughs> Got him those face enforcer with the high, the highway and now I'm at a kart game. All operating systems I don't stem even from like cars. Racing <laughs> games. I don't know why. <laughs> Incredible. So, you know, you mentioned that original Genesis as, a, as, you know, a 3D game, and it's been a couple of years, and you've got, I believe, another developer has joined your team. Is it Mark Lacroix has joined? Yep. So, you know, the team's a little bit bigger. It's a little bit time on. How has your development process changed? Are you still using Construct? Have you changed technologies? We're using Unity now. And again, you know, having to wrestle against the software a little bit. Because Construct made it very easy to set a native resolution. And then just boom, everything's on the grid. Unity, everything is sub-pixels. And to get it to feel like a legitimate low resolution takes a lot of work, especially having to do with text. That's pain in the butt but things are working now and it's things have been working for a while the operating system is much more robust like needlessly it's really we have to make the rest of the game justify it somehow but it's just basically an operating system yeah it's very exciting so very much following the arc of the first one that we discussed you know operating system first and the gameplay is coming yeah originally the team didn't want to do it that way but i intentionally you know just did what i wanted <laughs> Perfect. right now i'm actually taking a break though because i'm a stay-at-home dad right now my my son doesn't have a daycare spot so we're waiting until january for that so for last maybe two months i haven't really been working much on it doing side projects and stuff it's exciting but it's it's scary because with hypnospace the resolution was 480 by 270 pixels so not only did we have a low resolution, but we had a web safe palette that I put together. I called it the Hypnospace palette. And I dithered everything using, you know, Floyd Steinberg or Atkinson dithering to that palette. And that meant if I wanted to make a fake album cover, I could do a really bad Photoshop, scale it down to 200 pixels by 200 pixels, put dithering all over it, and it would look like pretty much like it could be a legit album cover but this game it's more or less true color and it's 960 by 540 so the amount of time a single asset takes is just like a, it takes a lot longer to make a convincing asset and i'm such a stickler for like it being convincing to a degree but it's just much more slow process 
That's fascinating. Yeah, that's a real consequence of the time jump I hadn't thought of. And if listeners are interested in that description of the asset creation that you described, you do it, you have a tutorial on your YouTube that you made for the community, right? That walks through that process of making hypnospace assets. So I'd highly recommend checking it out. It was really, it was uh, very, very illuminating to watch. Yeah, I do. I should redo those. They're a little dated, but I think they still work with that software I used. So yeah, for sure. So you know, whilst we're still talking about dream sellers, obviously it's still to come. It's going to, you know, still in development. Is there any teasers, anything you can tell us for any of the Hypnospace fans who are listening about the upcoming game? Yeah, some Hypnospace had a whole roster of like fictional music, musical artists. This time we're trying to like expand into like, for example, wrestling, <laughs> professional wrestling. And there's a wrestler who, me saying this, I'll give it away because there's not that many of these guys, but he's a professional wrestler and he likes video games and streams them sometimes and he's actually going to help us like this next year ideally film a well it has to be this next year film like a wrestling match for some of our like fictional wrestlers i think that's going to be cool yeah it's a fun part for me is just filling it with fictional bands music and there there's some returning musical artists (laughs) Especially some of them who had big personalities in the first game will come back around. And it's been pretty fun figuring out like how to do this because a big part of the 2000s was like, I guess, 9-11. And we're like, well, will we have a 9-11? And what, how, how do we do that? And what kind of a 9-11 is it? And what's the thing? So we, we kind of like mixed. We kind of brought Hurricane Katrina backwards a little bit and 9-11 forwards a little bit and mixed them together. So... We'll see how that goes. God, yeah, that is such an interesting problem with like creating something that is like fundamentally about cultural artifacts of a time period. God, that's incredible. That's one thing I wanted to do more here to make it feel more cohesive is make world events and make things from the world matter to people more, which, you know, the internet was mostly people's Sailor Moon shrines or recipes or whatever, but people did... You know, especially as you get more into blogging and social media era, like you had a, more of a sense of like the the time instead of just like reference material people were putting up or their their galleries or whatever. Yeah, especially as, as you start to explore MySpace, you know, early social networks. Now many you're like third in the series. This has to be like the Twitter generation, and how yeah. <laughs> what a monster that would be. Can you imagine a game in twenty years about right now? Like, I don't think I would have an interest in playing it. But who knows? So I, you know, that means I can't really be too annoyed at like any Gen X people who, who are like, why would you want to go back to 1998 in a computer? Ugh. I can't fault them for that because I, w- I think I'll be the same way in 20 years. So. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. So I know we're getting close on time. So to kind of bring us out, you mentioned, you know, some characters that have you're know, returning, have their own lives. One of the characters from Hypnospace that's very much, I guess, like, escaped the game and gone on to release his own game is zane rock so you've been working on a game called and i will try and get the whole title here slayers x terminal aftermath vengeance of the slayer which you know was made by a character from hypnospace zane rocks can you tell us a bit about this game yeah it's a there was a boomer shooter or a you know early 90s sort of 2.5d shooter in the vein of blood or duke nukem 3d or doom and the idea is that it's a mod of an in-universe game called Cataclysm, which is sort of a 1995 our world's version of Doom or Duke Nukem. 
And this is a mod that this kid and his friend started in high school and worked on it a bit. And then, and then life happened and they forgot about it. But this Zane, his friend from high school promised him at his own peril that he would help him finish their game, you know, later on at, you know, I guess at that graduation or something, I don't know, some sentimental like promise, bye buddy, I'm going to college. And then Zane held him to it. And then they finished their game earlier this year. <laughs> and yeah, so we did a lot of stuff to like replicate the sector effects of like a doom mapping to give it that sort of, and like the limited palette. So the colors kind of snap when you, to the next color in the palette when things get darker. So to give it that, you know, build engine doom vibe. Yeah, and that's quite a, a genre jump from Hitman yeah. Space. How did you find building, a, I guess, a shooter full stop, but especially a boomer shooter, which is a very distinct art form in itself? It was a lot of fun. I was a big Duke Nukem fan as a kid, and I'd run around quoting Duke Nukem all the time. And it was a lot of fun. I, I loved my favorite thing about those games are sort of the little dioramas you're exploring and the levels that are supposed to look like real places. So I liked making like a dollar store or, a, you know, all kinds of stuff that Zane might know from his life. Uh, he works at a dollar store in real life. And I love to think like sort of trying to do some subtle storytelling with like the level design. Like, for example, there's like a rich neighborhood and Zane everything is scaled way up in the rich neighborhood. Like like your head goes up to like the counters are like a little over your head, even Incredible. though Zane is an adult in the game. But I think I, I was thinking maybe his memories of these places are like they're scaled up because he only went in them when he was a kid at a sleepover or something. And they also have like cartoonishly like rich, like people stuff in their house, which, you know, also from a lack of experience in a rich person house. Yeah, I thought that was fun. It also inspired just by amateur Doom maps, that pe- Doom wads that people make where, you know, they make their house. There's a famous myhouse.wad that came out this year that kind of explored similar themes or or they make their neighborhood. And it's not really a great level per se, but it's just, it's almost like a weird version of like a diary or something sometimes, some of these wads. Yeah, that reminds me of the Duke Nukem 3D map, which is like every event in British culture in the last like 20 oh, years yeah. or something. That's yeah. Duke Smoochum. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah. God, wild. So I guess my final question to close us out here. So, you know, you've got a complete genre jump, lots of things going on there, but it's very, you know, rooted in Hypnospace. It's a Hypnospace character referencing their events and lives in Hypnospace. How did you, you know, as a developer with an audience like how did you go about like who's playing slayer x like how did you find the audience for that game well i started zane's twitter yeah (laughs) and i just made i gave him a presence on discord and twitter and so i actually had him join some retro fps youtuber discords and he just goes in there and talks about getting with people's moms and he's for people who are listening zane is who haven't played hypnosis zane is very you would say edgy and he kind of didn't grow out of it. So he's like in his late 30s. He's a little gentler in some ways. He has a kid. He's a little contained now. He's a responsible adult. But his interests haven't shifted too much. He's still into like new metal and sick and twisted clowns. He thinks they're awesome and, you know, whatever. And so he's kind of like, you know, he's probably I would probably be a little like him if I like stuck around my hometown longer or something. Yeah. And, you know, I legitimately 
still like even though I like new metal when I was a kid and it was a little embarrassing thing and to wear the baggy pants, you know, I still like that. I, I'll put on those albums sometimes. But <laughs> yeah. So very much a, like creating the persona and having it in habit spaces while people play these games. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people were attracted to like that and the few people who knew Hypnospace from those servers kind of like explained it to everyone else what the heck was going on. And I think leaning into it not being connected to Hypnospace in the marketing and stuff and just letting it be Zane's game and also letting it be, I didn't want it to be cynical. I wanted it to kind of celebrate all that stuff, like a feeling, because there's plenty of people who still love new metal and they still like those aesthetics. And and I, I don't know, I, I liked just, and I guess the game does borrow a lot from the this sort of 1999 and 2000, The Matrix and Dragon Ball Z, like this era of like, or animated music videos where they would put like anime to like new metal or corn songs or system of down songs, just that whole era. There's not, isn't too much like pulling from that to a lot, like not directly. So I thought that that was like a nice sort of open door. Like there, I'm not competing with many people there. So I think the people who remember that era and whom it resonates with, then they're attracted to it maybe. And it, it seemed to work out pretty well. Yeah. I think one thing that I guess bugs me, but it can't be helped just because of how kind of dumb Zane's humor and his one-liners are and, and just how in your face the aesthetic is, is is people think it it was like a very quick meme joke thing. And we tried our best to make like a legitimately good shooter just with this aesthetic and this made by a sort of a, a juvenile guy. But I can't fault them for just thinking someone kicked it out in a month or something. Which is a shame because, as we know, it took Zane 23 years to make that game. It did take him 23 <laughs> years. It took us two and a half years. Uh, yeah. Like, there's some overlap in games, but yeah. And was that Unity as well, that one? Yeah, that's Unity. Awesome. Perfect. Well, Jake, thank you so much. This has been, for me, a huge pleasure. So many topics I've had long on my mind about the game have been delightful to explore with you. If people want to keep up to date on you know, what's happening with Dream Settlers and your other game, where's the best place for them to follow your work? I guess it's X, <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> rest in peace yeah at j-a-y-t-h-o-l-e-n j-tolen perfect all righty well thank you so much for joining me today and i hope you enjoy the rest of your day yeah thank you joe